0: Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. I'd like to welcome you to an Empowering Hour. We begin with a study from Case on University of Medical Sciences, and it's about a nutrient that's a real powerhouse. It's called melatonin. Now, you secrete it each night when you're going to sleep, and that's what protects your brain and your body, helps your immune system. That is, assuming you get a good night's sleep. Well, now we're finding out that melatonin does more than help you get a good night's sleep. It also helps lower your markers for cardio-metabolic risk in diabetics, meaning you're less likely to have a heart attack or a stroke if you're diabetic, if you're taking melatonin. A randomized double-blind trial published in Clinical Nutrition resulted in a decrease in markers of oxidative stress and cardiometabolic risk among diabetics with heart disease who received melatonin. So it's a very powerful anti-inflammatory. It's a powerful antioxidant. We secrete it from our brain at night, assuming we get a good night's sleep. And uh, so just one more good thing that it does. Generally, if you're going to supplement, start at 1 milligram, see how that works, and then just progressively go up to like 10 milligrams. Now, for those of you who've gotten into power walking, great, because the University of California, San Francisco, and Harvard School of Public Health have shown that brisk walking, power walking, can help men with prostate cancer. Yeah. The benefits of walking are numerous, with the activity helping to extend our life, reduce stroke, prevent heart attacks, and improve overall wellness. In addition. A joint study conducted by the University of California, at San Francisco, and Harvard Medical School, or Harvard School of Public Health, reports a connection between brisk walking, that's your power walking, and a lower risk of prostate cancer advancement. So they had 1,400 men in this study. And uh, so, very important. Let's get out this exercise. Let's make sure that we're doing, I would say, Ideally, two miles to three miles a day, as quickly as you can. And that will help you, especially with prostate cancer. And our final study today comes from Rutgers University. Abdominal fat can impact brain health and cognition in high atherosclerosis risk individuals. What do I mean? The impact of abdominal fat on brain health and cognition It's generally more pronounced in middle-aged and with men in particular who are at high risk of Alzheimer's disease as opposed to women. In middle-aged individuals with a family history of Alzheimer's disease, the amount of fat in your belly and the abdominal organs, pancreas, liver, belly fat, is related to the brain volume and cognitive functions according to a study published in the Journal of Obesity. The research conducted on 204 healthy middle-aged Alzheimer's dementia offspring, they didn't have it, but their parents did, investigated fat deposits in the pancreas, liver, and abdomen, and measured the MRI. And, quote, the middle-aged males at high Alzheimer's disease risk, but not females, if they had high pancreatic fat, It was associated with lower cognition and brain volumes. So what does this mean? Let's go back to something I've been saying for decades. If you have a healthy diet with lots of leafy green vegetables, and that's an important source of fiber and nutrients, antioxidants, then you're going to have less body fat. If you exercise, if you're not eating refined, processed, denatured food, you're not going to have high body mass index, meaning your organs and your abdomen are not going to be loaded with fat. That helps prevent Alzheimer's and those who've had Alzheimer's in their family. That's the latest on health and nutrition. We're going to take a break and come right back as I'm interested in your calls at 888-874-4888. Please stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. We've been spending some Fridays recently hearing from you. You have an opportunity to call in and share your thoughts on any topic, 888-874-888. But because most people listen to this program by downloading it during the evening, you won't have a chance to call in. So you call or you email Luann with your questions or comments, and then she'll be on in case there are no calls to address that. Today I'm going to play an interesting clip before we get there. Really interesting. Now, I interviewed this gentleman... On several occasions, I'm going to play it now. He's been deceased for about, I think, ten or more years. His name is John Judge, and he did some research, lots of research. Now you can accept that he's correct or incorrect, that he has something other than an interesting hypothesis, or that uh, maybe he found something no one else was looking for. I'm going to play this clip. It's about the attempted assassination on Ronald Reagan. Now again, just like the Kennedy assassination. Who has written the definitive book? No one. Why are we still classifying files from that time? But we are. What do they fear the public knowing? And to my knowledge, there was no one doing what John Judge did. Again, I am not confirming that he is accurate, merely saying it's interesting what he has uncovered, except or rejected. That's on you. Now to the clip.
1: And at first, Haig was going to head up the crisis management team, but then at the last minute, about three days before the shooting, Bush was put in to head the crisis management team, and the press couldn't quite figure out what it was, and they were chasing him around saying, what's a crisis, and what's crisis management, and what's this all got to do with? And what it has to do with, of course, is transfer of power and control uh in uh, either natural or created crises in the white house uh and uh and at the level of the presidency so they asked bush three days before the shooting how would you define a crisis and bush says the president will know it when he sees it (laughs) flat on his back i suppose was the scenario um and i think he did see it coming out of that Hilton there in Washington, and I did extensive work on the uh, ballistics. None of Hinckley's bullets uh, hit Mr. Reagan. Uh, Hinckley had six bullets in the gun. Uh, one hit Delahanty, a cop, and threw him to the ground by nicking him on his grazing his shoulder and neck. Another went into uh, the groin of the agent McCarthy, a 160-pound man, lifted him up and threw him back to the other end of the limousine. Uh, another bullet. The initial bullet fired by Hinckley hit Mr. Brady in the head, knocked him to the ground, did considerable brain damage. And one bullet nicked the windshield of the limousine. One bullet went into the Universal office building across the street. And one bullet went into the trunk of the car. And you can see when you look at the photos closely, a very clear hole not a ricochet or a scar mark, but a hole going into the car, penetrating the, the outer metal wall. The bullet that hit Reagan hit him by all counts at an early point. When, when the limousine pulled up uh, to deliver him to his talk, um, it pulled up at the door where he was to go in. I suppose if you rented a limousine, you'd expect it to come to your door, not two doors down the block. If you're the President of the United States, they will move it six inches to make it sure it lines up with the door. Uh, they were following standard security procedure when he got there. The limousine stopped, the door opened, the Secret Service got out on both sides and formed a human wall. And then Reagan gets out and walks through that wall a couple of seconds into the door of the VIP entrance and through some non-public halls and up an elevator and out on the stage. It comes back by the same route in order to beat the crowd out. This was specifically designed there at the Hilton for that purpose, this route. But when he comes out, the limousine, inexplicably, is about 40 feet down the curb, nowhere near the door. Uh, so he has to walk out into the open. When the president walks in the open, the Secret Service are supposed to stand on either side, into the front and back, as well as other points, but at least a protective diamond. The Secret Service file out all to his right, a line of ducks. They told him that morning, no security problem, Mr. President, you need not wear your vest. He raised his hand to wave, some called Mr. President, raised his hand to wave, and at that point he's hit. You can tell he's hit. In he, the Kennedy assassination, because the missile went into his lung, the lung begins to collapse, the air is blown out, and the cheeks expand. And you get a grimace on the face. His, uh, his shoulder slumps a little bit, he's clearly in pain, um, and All of the magazines time magazine go back to that point show reagan is hit he's up like this but that point is at almost the same second that hinckley's first bullet is fired and hits brady in the head and realizing that reagan is not dead secret service agent parr begins to push him into the car in front of him and he's reagan's already in the car and Parr about a third of the way into the car when Hinckley's last shot is fired. So there's no chance in timing or angles or anything else for these bullets to hit Reagan. The reaction of all the other people is much different than Reagan. Reagan's still standing and then he gets into the car, so uh, they're all lying around on the ground from these 38 shots. If a 38 caliber, even a 22 caliber bullet had hit Reagan, he wouldn't have been wondering whether something had happened to him. Uh, a good assassin, even if you have your vest on, knows that when you raise your hand you expose your heart. Oh. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and the uh the situation was that up top of the retaining wall on the area that I call the bushy knoll <laughs> was the assassin. And he was firing not a 38 or a 22, but a very, very specific weapon developed by the intelligence agencies, which is a uh, CO2-propelled flechette. These are little razor-edged or sharp discs, or they have them. Earlier versions were like little tube rockets, about a half an inch long, very thin with stabilizing fins. Then they got into these, these little discs that are razor-edged and delta-shaped or airline-shaped, so that they. And this thing makes no noise. it's just a little puff of C- the CO2 gas, and it can be fired with accuracy up, up to an amazing distance. Um, some of the guns that incorporated this early technology were revealed by Senator Church during the CIA assassination studies in Congress, and they had a looked like a German Luger with a rifle scope on it that would fire these things accurately with the scope to the length of a football field so there's no problem with aiming them or getting them to do the job uh, and I have to assume that that Luger was the expendable technology and they got better or they wouldn't show it to us on TV and they can shoot you from a satellite they don't have to worry about a gun barrel but uh, not not with a 22 of course but with, uh, with with other types of energy and heat generating stuff they can send down by satellite and if they can knock a ICBM missile traveling through outer space out of the sky. I'm sure they can catch you on the street. Um, so once they get Star Wars in place, the cities are the first target, I think. They can start firestorms and other things. But this guy made such a little wound with this with this uh, disc. They often uh, contain poison and might have, in Reagan's case, that later led to the cancer, but also can just be used. I think the idea was to penetrate the heart, but it deflected on the seventh rib and went into the lung and missed the aorta by about a quarter of an inch. Uh, They couldn't find the bullet. The nurses couldn't find a bullet wound. Now, this is GWU Hospital Emergency Room in D.C. Uh, They've seen bullet wounds, believe me. (laughs) They didn't know what was wrong. They thought he was having a heart attack. Finally, when they got all his clothes cut off, the nurse saw what she described, and I read the medical uh, magazines about this, and she said it was a little razor slit about an inch long with some black blood coming out of it, a little line of blood and then she thought well you know maybe he's been hit with something but that isn't what a 22 or a 38 hole would look like uh and then they went in and they couldn't find it and they almost closed him up they did three different x-rays to find the bullet and then the doctor the last time just before closing got the thing in his hand and his lung tissue and pulled it out and he described it the medical magazine as round uh, flat as a dime, as round as a dime, about that size and flat razor-edged and then he hands it to the FBI that's waiting patiently <laughs> and it goes the way of all good bullets uh, back into the history bin so uh, we don't hear about that bullet anymore we hear about these uh, 22 exploding shells and ricochet ricochet shot that must have hit the back of the car and gone between the door uh, of the car and gotten into Reagan on his way in because otherwise how do you explain the wound described by Dr. Uh, O'Donnell that night at the press conference as a 45 degree downward back to front left to right wound when I, you have Reagan here and Hinckley down about where you are how are you gonna get me from back there uh, you know it just didn't fit so then you got to bend Reagan over like this, have <laughs> the bullet ricochet, and come back in from the other side of the car or something. I mean, you know, it was almost as impossible as the magic bullet in the Kennedy assassination, but these are minor details when you're killing a president. Uh, they did not expect him to survive. They got into the car without even police escort, and they yelled, Rawhide is okay. Rawhide being his code name at the time rawhide is okay you know oops it <laughs> gigs up so next plan b and brady at that point is lying on the ground bleeding uh and there is an early report that brady is dead then there's a report that reagan is shot then that brady's shot or not shot or not dead or reagan's not dead or reagan's dead and it went back and forth like that for a while the press couldn't seem to get it straight and i'm turning on everything i can turn on radio and tv you know the minute i hear it because i know you're going to get the only news in the first few minutes and the uh, the situation is somebody comes into GWU gw hospital on a stretcher secret service all around and they come in a few minutes before and they clear out the emergency room uh and they bring this guy through on the stretcher so everybody assumes it's reagan he's hit maybe he's dead and he's going into surgery uh, but in fact, having looked at the case very closely, I now realize that that was Brady. Brady beat Reagan to the hospital. Brady, who took three more minutes to even get an ambulance near him, got to GWU before Reagan did. And then in the book that McCarthy writes about protecting the president um, that day, he says that they got in the car and they said uh, they were going to take him to the hosp- nearest hospital, which you got to do, and so they went up T Street to Connecticut, and they said into the thing, we're going right, we're going to, and then he says another code word, he doesn't put it in Arabic, he says it means the White House. And uh, if you go right on Connecticut Avenue at T Street in Washington, D.C., you're heading north, away from the White House, and up to another place in Maryland uh, where the body of John Kennedy got taken called Bethesda Naval Hospital so that the United States Navy intelligence can finish the job on Mr. Reagan. In fact, Secret Service agents argued with hospital staff at GWU all night until 6 in the morning they finally gave up trying to move him up to Bethesda. They wanted to do the killing and the autopsy up there, where they could control it. They didn't want him down to a public hospital. But a huge fight broke out between the Reagan loyalists and the Bush loyalists in the Situation Room in that hour. At the command and control module which is the communication module in the White House for all the nuclear and crisis commands sat Helena von Damme, Reagan's appointment secretary and Otto von Bolschwing's employee and the fight ensued to the point that a deal was made to let Reagan live as long as he got out of the way. Haig emerged shaken Bush's man and said Gentlemen, I am in charge here until the vice president returns Bush was flying out in Dallas on uh, Air Force One and so The transition of power I believe happened at that point Hinckley was an easy enough patsy to set up and blame the murder on Uh, Reagan managed to survive but then from then on basically went out to Camp David watched old movies with Nancy Uh, Waved at the press, you know, uh, oh, I'm the president, I want to see my boots. And and Bush ran the White House.
0: Okay. Before we invite anyone on who has a controversial topic, we have to independently validate their information. And uh, I don't like starting with a conspiracy theory, I like starting with conspiracy facts. Um, So here's the question Is he accurate? You've seen not a single thing about this anywhere, and yet he wrote a lot of articles, I believe a book. So, maybe one of our citizen journalists will see whether or not this is correct or incorrect. All right? And when you find out, let me know. On the topics we discussed, everything that he shared in the Archives was accurate, but not on this issue. Now I'm going to play a real short clips. These are a minute, minute and a half long, but it's a full, spe- a full spectrum of some of the issues we're facing with today. I'll give you an example. Josh Hawley is one of about ten legislatures that I'm aware of who has not uh, shunned the spotlight when it comes to confronting authority figures. And his argument here is this. The person who was handling um, social distancing during COVID and you could get fined or even arrested didn't have a problem when they were promoting a demonstration and thousands of people were there shoulder to shoulder and without masks. That was okay. But when a, a religious group, I think it was Catholic group, wanted to have uh, a meeting outside where they would wear masks and socially distance that was a crime. So they were gone after. But all the other people demonstrating in America, they weren't. Hmm. Here's the person that was defending this action and how Josh Hawley handled it before an under oath committee hearing.
2: Why did you argue that religious services, religious people pose a greater risk of infection than people gathered to to argue for defunding the police.
3: The policies restricted all types of activity in the district.
2: All types of activity in the district?
3: Yes, Senator. Did it
2: restrict mass protests in the district?
3: I don't believe it said anything one way or
2: another. Of but course it didn't, because it didn't accept mass protests. If you want to come and protest and defund the police, if you want to support that, that's fine. You can gather in mass, person to person, close up, thousands of people. That's OK. You know the facts. You were a good lawyer. Why'd you lose? Senator. Oh, come on, Judge, don't make me do this. Mayor Bowser was going to mass protests, herself personally, with thousands of people. At the same time she was doing that, she was prohibiting churches from gathering socially distanced outside wearing masks.
0: Okay, see the contradictions, see the lies, see the tyranny of government when it has those that they will support no matter what crimes they commit and those they punish even though crime has been committed. Just want to show you what goes on, and how, when they're confronted, they're cowards, and they never acknowledge what they've done wrong. So I commend Josh Hawley Now, how bad is our government? It's terrible. For example, in New York City, you don't get any more corrupt than New York City. I would dare say you would have to go to one of the uh, to Ukraine to find any state that is more corrupt, local politicians more corrupt, governors more corrupt. I just, the place is a cesspool of corruption. Even with good people living there, in great culture, the body politics is corrupt. When you let people who've committed a hundred crimes out of jail with no bail, that tells us a lot about who you are and what your views are. But what does it tell us about your concern for those that are the victims of those crimes? Who before the city council or the mayor or the governor has gone to the thousands of small businesses that had their life savings wiped out, not just because of COVID, but also because of shoplifting, where they can't even stop a person. They can't stop the cart they're stealing stuff from. And they went out of business. $2.2 billion stolen last year. I called uh, I called my old health food store yesterday and spoke with some people, and... Uh, is theft going on? Oh, yeah, yeah, big time. People you know are outside the neighborhood. Yeah, a lot of the regular customers. So, people that we were there to serve, some of those people are coming in and stealing. Yeah, and they know we can't touch them. There's nothing, and they can come back. Then I had a thought last night what if in California, and of course, California is just, it's disgusting at every level. Um, What if they applied the no longer burglary aspects of robbing a house in daylight, unarmed, to the same laws of shoplifting? You can steal $950 at one time and go right back out on the street, give all that loot to someone who will then uh, sell it, and go right back in again. You could do that all day long till every single thing in that store is taken, and nobody can stop you, and trying to stop you, the person trying to stop you in the store will get arrested. Now, what if we suddenly promoted the idea, get rid of the police, all the police? Yeah, and there'd be people, my God, that that would be like a, some real stimulus to them. They'd love that. Hmm. Okay, so let's just say, no longer is it a crime to go into Beverly Hills or any of the exclusive areas where the celebrities live? And you can steal up to $950 from their house, and they cannot, they cannot stop you. Oh, and by the way, if they're out, you can go in and change the padlock and then demand uh, squatters' rights. 1,200 people, by the way, in Georgia, around Atlanta, took over uh, homes where people were at work, and people came home from work, and suddenly the doors won't open. The lock won't work because they changed the lock. Now it'll take you two years to get that person out. And you've got to pay the property tax. You've got to pay utilities. can't turn off utilities. And if you go on the property, your property that you own, um, you can be arrested for trespassing because of squatter's rights. Oh, and by the way, in New York, that happened last week in a nice neighborhood in Queens where people spent $2.2 million, $2. $2 million on a house and... Uh, Now there's a guy in there, and it's going to take him a long time to get him out. He can do whatever he wants. Oh, and he's renting out space. He's renting out their rooms. Wow. So why not just do it across the country? Why not in every city and every community say it's okay to go in people's homes? You can go into a store. Why not apply the same principle and no longer call it burglary uh, and say it's shoplifting? but it's shoplifting in someone's retail, or someone's home. Look, if we have any more stupidity involved in politics, then it would be rated as imbecilic as an institution, and they're all corrupt. Here's just one example, and here's Representative Hagman challenging the tyranny of government. And this was when she was a lawyer representing just a farmer, up in, I think, at Montana, And uh, listen to her case and ask yourself, is this fair? You would never have known about this until today.
4: Several years ago, there was a gentleman in northern Wyoming. He'd bought a farm that had been pretty run down. And there was an irrigation ditch that ran through it that had caused a lot of erosion. He went in and he cleaned up the farm and he moved that irrigation ditch. Well, the EPA decided that that irrigation ditch was a navigable water of the United States. And they came in and sued him. They contacted him, sent him a letter and said, you must notify us within seven days whether you are going to comply or you're going to be subject to fines of $37,500 a day. That case went on for six solid years. And by the time that we went to trial in that case, he was facing penalties of almost $65 million for affecting 2.1 acres of land on his own property. Now the fines are $59,000 a day. I would argue that whenever you give an administrative agency the authority to impose fines of $59,000 a day you've created a tyrannical government.
0: Would you agree with that? A man on his own property clearing off all the debris and moving a high soil erosion creek, so it was, was charged $65 million. Do you think any of these government bureaucrats and technocrats care what it's like to be the victim? No, they don't. Oh, well, and just to show you how utterly, stupendously stupid New York City government is, I just saw the latest pay for security guards at, at, uh, at the different centers. What would be a reasonable pay? Mind you, they can't touch anyone. They can't break up a fight. They can call the police, and that's it at one of the immigrant centers. $113 an hour. An hour. And you have to have more than, I think, two per entrance, and now all over the city. So millions and millions of dollars, taxpayers' dollars, are going to pay someone $113? Well, find out the private, agent, private group that put that together. And then ask yourself, why does it cost $6,000 to put a person on a bus? One single person, $250,000 per bus load from Texas border up to New York City. And this guy runs 30 buses, so they're making millions of dollars per trip. Hmm. How'd that happen? Well, this is the new normal where no one has any fiscal responsibility at all for anything. But they don't care, as long as there's someone who's going to pay that as the taxpayer. Here's Justin Trudeau lecturing the world about democracy. Okay, good. Tell us about democracy say that in every democracy around the world we are seeing uh, a rising movements of uh, skepticism about democracy itself as citizens cannot take their democracies for granted and that means standing for democracy against authoritarianism in favor of the peace and prosperity that ensures a better future for everyone.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm not sure what democracy you're talking about since you were so worried about people being uh, skeptic about it. Because as far as reality is concerned, your government and many other democratic governments are controlling the flow of information on what their citizens can and cannot know about. You're expanding government regulation of online speech. You frame people protesting your government and your mandate as violent extremists. You froze their bank account. I mean, you, you basically, you call every criticism against you hate and hate speech. None of that is democracy. That's authoritarianism 101. So again, I'm not sure what the f I'm talking about.
0: Now here is uh, Pierre Pouvert when he's challenged about the chemical blockers in children and uh, surgery, permanent surgery in children. Here's his response. Would you agree or disagree with his position?
2: And for minors? Yes. Yeah. Irreversible? You're talking but about irreversible. I, I, I would I don't
4: like to understand you. you agree agree with, no, I you want to be No, I don't want to be clear. I want to be clear.
2: You read blockers for minors? Yes. Do you
4: agree, with that? Yeah. you agree with that?
2: I think that we should protect children and what their ability mean? to make adult decisions when they're adults. So you think only adults should make, you said yes? Just Just to be clear, you
5: said yes, only adults should take puberty blockers?
2: I think we should protect children let them make adult decisions when they become adults. So, that, you you support you, so that means you, you are against puberty blockers for kids under the age of 18, is that, is that yes. clear? Okay. okay, what about, can I ask you about? Um...
0: And what part of the equation is not understood? Would you like to go up and see how many videos exist of people who made decisions to have their breasts removed or genitals removed as a young kid with compliant, greedy doctors and hospitals, and then is a part of a political and ideological movement, and then later regretted it, <clears throat> how many have committed suicide? How many can't undo what was done? But what an adult does is up to them. An adult, well, look, you have to have, uh, you have to be at a certain age to get a driver's license. Otherwise, you could put someone at risk. But by the same principle, and I'm talking about the same principle that a child knows exactly which gender they are uh, when they're born. And some have argued that, certainly by the age of three. Okay, then why not allow children to drink and smoke at any age, and drive a car when they're eight years old? Why not? Why not eliminate anything that we assume that only a mature person that has reached adulthood should have the right to do? Because now you're talking about something that they can't undo. And when you're an adult, make a choice. It's your choice. Hopefully it's the right choice, and you can enjoy it and live with it. I support that. What you do as an adult your business. But children? So this isn't a caring for the children. And we should understand that. And finally, here's a legislator who decided he didn't play in your game about Pronouns. Let's hear what he has to say before his entire, uh, entire group of legislators.
2: I'm not adopting your language. I'm not respecting your preferences because you, you don't own reality. You don't own grammar. You don't own definitions. You don't get to tell me. You don't. You, you don't have. You're not important enough to provide me with an instruction manual on how to talk to you. Are you kidding? How important do you have to think you are to list at the bottom of your emails? And yeah, I see you laughing about it. That's hilarious, isn't it? But what are the consequences for not abiding by it? What would happen in this chamber if I were to address Representative Finke? Need I continue? What would the consequences be?
1: Point of order, Madam Speaker.
2: Exactly. Thank you. And I refuse...
0: Okay. You can agree or disagree, but we're just putting the information up there to get us to think and respond. Our talkback number is 888-874-4888. I'd like to hear from you now. So we're going to take a quick break and come back and we'll go for the rest of the program with your calls or Lou in the studio. What people have written her and have something to say, and we'll hear what it is. Back in a moment. you don't think that it get worse, this is out of Germany. Quote, the local government in the German capital, Berlin, has ruled out introducing, quote, sex rooms for toddlers in state-run daycare facilities, despite the recommendations having been included in an unpublished draft of the city's new educational program. And what this is, they put up rooms in every single toddler school where toddlers can go in there and masturbate. You heard me right. Young toddlers have a room to themselves where they can go in and masturbate and have, quote, guided sexual education concepts. I see. Have a problem with that or not? Okay. Okay. That's that's where it's going, people, and I'm not making this stuff up. Anyhow, uh, right now, we don't have any calls coming in at 888 874 but we have Luann on the line. Hi, Luann. Hello, Gary. Boy, I
5: never had that growing up.
0: Well, if it's good enough for toddlers, why isn't it good enough for all of our lawyers, all of our politicians? (laughs) and all of our celebrities to have in every studio, in in Congress, the Senate and the House, have to have masturbating chambers. And maybe they might even have a third chamber where they can coalesce together. Oh, my God. I don't think there's going to be a (laughs) lot of handshaking in that that encounter. (laughs) But who knows, right?
5: All right. Speaking of sex, your audience is concerned about having sex. My question for Gary is, how risky is it for an unvaccinated man to have sex with a vaccinated woman? And for any woman who might have a similar concern, how risky is it for them with a vaccinated man if they're unvaccinated?
0: You don't have to have sex to come in contact with body fluids from people being vaccinated. And what we've seen and what the scientific literature absolutely overwhelmingly has confirmed is that you can transmit even asymptomatic transfer, transfer of the, vac- uh, the vaccine byproducts and the COVID virus itself through close proximity, even getting someone to breathe in your vicinity. That's how most transmissions occur. Most transmissions do not occur through sex. And the trouble is, a young person who is healthy, May have minimal symptoms because their immune system, the, the innate immune system, is so strong it can kill the virus, and frequently they don't have any symptoms at all. But the older you get, let's say over the age of thirty, yes. Now there's also three other problems. Num number one, they said that the vaccine would dissipate uh, within about 24 to 48 hours. It would be in the stay in the deltoid muscle. Well, a, it goes right into the bloodstream, and every cell in your body can be infected. B they said it wouldn't last long. The body would shut down the production of the spike protein. And remember, this is not like any other vaccine. Any other vaccine, you give a dead, attenuated or unattenuated small amount of the virus or a virum into the system, your body mounts an immune response increase antibodies. The antibodies are there. And as long as you are, have a healthy diet and, and take the right supplements like vitamin C, it, it keeps those antibodies healthy. So then when you're exposed to a virus in the future, or bacteria, the body can rush right in there, and through a process called phycocytosis, it's one of many processes, it can enzymatically dissolve, much like a Pac-Man will envelop something and then it dissolves. That's what it does. This is not a vaccine in any legitimate sense. This is a biological, genetically engineered infusion, which then is telling the cell, a healthy cell, produce spike protein. And unfortunately, they thought that it would stop, but it doesn't. And there are people who are producing the spike protein 24-7 months and months later. Now I haven't seen any recent studies, but I'm willing to guess that, that it might be over a year, and who knows how much longer. What do you think a person who has already an autoimmune disease, what do you think is going to happen to their internal organs when their immune system is on high alert 24-7? It's going to collapse. So now we're seeing all this happening. So when um, when you have sex and any form of intimacy, you really risk that. And because we don't have any definite, it's a safe time now, how do you know it's a safe time? Unless you had a whole biochemical profile right then and there to tell us whether or not you have any of that virus floating in your system, in your saliva, in your body fluids, then you're at risk. So I would say no way. Instead, find one of those adult rooms go masturbating. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> no one has caught yeah. no the virus from that.
5: Uh, I next, left next, wide open for that one. Oh. You
0: did. You did. That was too easy for to <laughs> me. <man.
5: laughs> okay. I've got another email here from uh, Linda, and she said, I watched one of your DVDs called I'm Not Finished Yet. And at the end of it, I cried. I'm 71, and I haven't done anything unique or different for over 50 years. I realize that I'm tied up with anger and judgments and my emotions. I'm skilled at what I do, but I've never really been happy and I've wasted my life. So, how do I start over? I have no friends, I think I know why, but do you have any suggestions?
0: Absolutely, 100, 100% going to work. Join the Pacifica board. <laughs> You'll be in perfect David. company. <laughs> <laughs> oh my I woke God. up this morning. I'm angry right. about everything. That's all right. Look, if you, if you wake up in the morning and you cannot appreciate the gift of life that you have that day, then you don't have a day. You have internal remorse. Rollo May, Eric Fromm, Erickson, uh, some of the great minds of the 20th century All shared insights with the same common denominator, and that is what you put in your mind to start a day and keep it in focus is how that day is going to progress. You're going to see the day for its advantages. And look, every day has advantages, but we don't look at our advantages. We don't look at, for example, I'll ask you a few questions. Do you have any close friends? Yes or no? You, yes, you said sure. Okay, yeah. have you ever thought about the day comes when those friends die or gone, for whatever reason, and then you focus upon, my goodness, did I spend enough time with them? Did I let them know how I love them because they didn't have to be my friend they chose to be? Isn't that a precious gift? Yes. Yeah. So if you have nothing else and you have friends, you are on the right side of that day. And what about your health? What about the environment you're living in? What about the opportunities you have just to go to a museum and look at all the wonderful art that was created by unique and gifted people? That is, and they, they weren't creating that for themselves. They created that as their living legacy. I was here. Here's what I created. I've gone, I'm gone a thousand years. Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci and all the others, Raphael, So being able to appreciate the gifts of other people that we have in common, meaning in our commons we can go to the beach, it's our beach. In common we have a city park. We have wonderful cultural events that we can share. So why not feel good about the gifts you do have and stop complaining always about what you don't have? Because the people who can only find reasons to justify their martyrdom at the emotional level these are people come to you saying, "I need to be filled you're my codependent enabler fill my cup okay and you take some of your energy and time and focus and you fill their cup that day and you don't see them drinking it they throw it away but you said you were hungry you needed that water no I needed you to be codependent with me and so that I have a reason to feel I'm a victim." So when you're in the presence of those people, understand you're not in the presence of a living consciousness who has true values of choice. Their choice was made through the epigenetic conditioning from early life experiences, and that's who they believe they are. You are not your dysfunction. You are not your anger. You're not your, you're not your biases and prejudices. That's a manifestation of those who had more control over your thoughts and beliefs than you did over your own and now you've you've cemented them you've codified them into a ritual of angry expression or loneliness and if you're really lonely okay what are you doing to meet other people so you don't have to be lonely you can share commonalities lots of ways of doing that or you can make your loneliness a justification for your emotional clutter. And what causes clutter at the emotional level before it even becomes physical? A fear of loss. And what happens when we have a fear of loss of our job, of our loved ones, of our health? We engage in the irrational behavior. And how how do we end up with irrational behavior? Because irrational behavior gives us some quick response. We react. We don't reason. And therefore, all of our choices, when we're coming from fear, insecurity, uncertainty, is a biased choice. And therefore, there is no ethic nor morality in the choices we make. There is no self-control, only impulsivity. Therefore, there's no quiet mind, the meditative mind, the reflective mind, the introspective mind, the humble mind. In fact, we frequently mock those qualities because they're not reactive. Try, try getting in an argument with a person that is calm. They're pretty much going to stay calm because they don't see the purpose of the argument. Where is this going? Me yelling at you, cursing you, you yelling at me, cursing at me, me pushing you, you slugging me, me slapping you, we're rolling on the ground like two rabid animals fighting. What is the likely outcome? So they mock that which they have not mastered. And we cannot, Luann, master happiness. We can only master the objects that are meant to give us happiness. And look at 99.9999% of all the successful people in the world. What do they all have in common? They've succeeded. They've got celebrity status or money or yachts or homes or mink coats or whatever they feel they need, jewelry. And they don't have any happiness at all. They pretend to be happy. Well, I've happened to counsel of the almost 70,000 people, I've counseled one-on-one, I've counseled over 3,000 very successful wealthy people, billionaires, members of a royal family, and I can tell you there's no happiness there. Their whole life is a constant nonstop pursuit of objects. That person, I need that person in my life, that man, that woman, that whatever. If only I had that, then I would be happy. Well, the humble person says, I'm happy. I may not have all the things and stuff, but I'm happy. How can you be happy? Who are you? Do you know who I am? No. Do you care who I am? No. So we've already divided ourselves before we've even gotten out of grade school, and then everything else that reinforces this constant battle of the real self versus the conditioned self. The soccer moms, the, you know, the, the we've got to wrap everything up in plastic. My kid's going outside, wrap him in plastic. He might be infected by someone else's social status. Ask someone, Jimmy, when you get near them, before you get on the school bus, school bus? I'm going to be on a school bus. Of course not. We would not allow your little feet to touch a school bus step. No, we have a private limousine with nannies, masseuses, aromatherapies, and massage experts in there, till you get to the school four blocks away. I mean, this is how a whole generation is growing we wonder why everyone is so screwed. So, what you're not conscious of, you cannot create. So you can only manifest a circular life by continuing to re-utilize the excuses you've given yourself for not being free and a willful soul egos and power demands create a special recognition. I'm Madonna, look at me. Don't be concerned if my face looks like a balloon. Someone painted a picture. No, I'm Lady Gaga. My, my talent is not enough, even though I keep telling you I graduated, graduated from Juilliard. I'm a mediocre talent, but look, I just wore an animal. A hundred animals had to die for me to put this dress on. So you recognize me, a special recognition of my insecurity. I see. Hmm. Remember, you know you're in the presence of the wrong people when their egos manipulate through dramas. Stay away from anyone who's got a drama, because that drama is their story. They've mastered it. And I don't want to be in anyone else's drama, and it would be unfair if I had any dramas to put someone else in, because then your life becomes a Greek tragedy. You see, everything is limited, and nothing is a positive. hope that answers that question.
5: Sure it does. I'm going to add one caveat. I work with a lot of people, Gary, who are terminally ill or who have autoimmune illnesses, and one of the first things I tell them is, you are not your illness. You're not a cancer patient. You're not a Parkinson's person. You're someone who's having an experience, and we need to explore the reasons why and keep your energy on that instead of being a victim of a label Uh, you know you're a terminal patient well no you're having an experience we've got to figure out what's going on and put your energy on that instead Mm. of the the victim mentality makes all the difference in the world and it's the key to many of your protocols right
0: there as you well know I've never in any protocol even with terminal people that are the majority of people I counsel I never talk about the disease I don't talk about their cancer I talk about what in life would you like to redo, and then start a new journey, repurpose your life, without the drama, without the fear of loss, without the end of things, but rather the beginning of things, something they have power over. And that's why we've been so successful. Let's say hello to, is it uh, Kaito, from Queens?
3: Kaito, how are you? Good. Hello
0: your okay, turn and we we're gonna yeah. we're gonna say goodbye to wbi but we're continuing the top of the hour at prn.live your turn please share your thoughts
3: okay now i heard you mention on the radio that the fbi is not being held responsible now there's a court case called social workers party versus the attorney general that i mentioned on WBA, wbai uh, that law enforcement make people homeless and get people fly from their jobs. But, uh, you know, and they paid a the price, like $264,000 in, in damages. And then after that, the radio station has shut down. WBI has shut
0: down. So, uh, hold hold so on, like, hold on. We're on WBI right now.
3: I know, but they came back up. Cause like, if you Google WBI shut down, it, it shows you that, they, that, that it was shut down after they had mentioned the court case on the radio. That was like two thousand and nineteen was called, um, a yeah, called yeah, that Disorder. that
0: had that had nothing to do with the FBI or police that had to do with a dispute between individuals who believed and they have a right to their belief that the station was not being run correctly, and they believed that it the information should come through, and I believe during that shutdown the information was piped in from. KPFA in Berkeley. And uh, and that's what that stemmed from. Now, if the Pacifica Foundation finds that they cannot continue to support BAI or any of the other uh, four remaining stations because the shrinkage of its audience and, uh, and the loss of motivation, meaning there's just too few people calling in and making premiums, and then again, there's, has to be a coordinated effort to make sure those premiums get out in a timely manner and the, all the stations are suffering so will the station this station or one of the others be sacrificed i would guess yes now no one on that station none of the listeners nor any of the hosts over 150 plus hosts per station want that to happen even those who volunteer their time and i certainly don't want to see WPI close down but all the stations are hurting. Now, why? I don't have time to go into, but it didn't happen now. It happened over 24 years ago, and the legacy of that coup is still being felt today. But that was not about the FBI, and it was not about local police. But do I believe that the FBI has not been held accountable? You bet. Do I believe that uh, that they have have a long and sordid history of committing crimes against humanity? Well, don't take my word for it. Go to the church hearings in 1974 and ask yourself, did we find out that there was a secret, uh, secret program called Operation Tone Call Pro? Yes. And about 20 other different operations, did they infiltrate every single protest group in the United States, including environmental groups, peaceful groups, peace, peace groups, who just a peace, yes. Uh, how about uh, the Black panthers yes were any were any of the agents held accountable? Yes, no, they weren't. Did one of the agents come up with a plan and then it was implemented, and Jager Hoover was aware of it of trying to get Martin Luther King to commit suicide? Yes, by making it go public if he didn't uh he didn't abandon his causes that his wife would be told critic Scott King would be told about all of his affairs around the country like gandhi he was. A wise and insightful and courageous person, but he was just a person in flaw, just like Thomas Jefferson and all the others, in various ways and various in different degrees. You can focus upon a person's weaknesses. or You can focus upon have they led us in the right direction, even if they're not the best representatives of it. And the answer is yes. So understand when no one is ever held accountable at the CIA, Homeland Security, uh, ICE, uh, the FBI, uh, then you have a society that the rule of law is no longer equally applied, then we're all challenged if we're not on the right side of that uh, power group. And we see that happening right now. You saw you saw what happened when any scientist wanted to criticize Anthony Fauci. The emails—we're not talking about hearsay now—the emails that a, a, Senate, a House committee got showed that there was communication between the head of the Health and Human Services, a man named Collins, and Anthony Fauci's office, at talking about how can we discredit these three epidemiologists telling the world with the Great Barrington uh, Declaration that we're mismanaging COVID. And then they did everything they could to destroy them. And we wouldn't have known this, this was happening across all the social media until Elon Musk, who I disagree with on most things, until Elon Musk bought Twitter in what has to be viewed as the dumbest business decision ever. Now he's lost tens of billions of dollars. And But at least the good part of that is that he then brought in some top journalists who were not political, and they found that all of the governmental agencies that wanted to could meet with any of the people in social media uh, platforms, Google, Facebook, Twitter, and tell them who to censor and who to promote. And they did that. They did that. That, And by the way, that's against the law. So that's just one example of the government breaking its own laws. So, you see, if you want reform, you're never going to have reform. Reform cannot exist. It is Reform is incompatible with power because power never surrenders itself. It never acknowledges it's overuse or abuse. It writes laws once it's in power, so then what was, had previously been an immoral situation or a crime is now protected. So understand that they're following the law, and then you have to say, well, what is the law? Who wrote the laws? Who paid for these laws? Who, how much money did George Soros give to all these DAs in these cities where crime is rampant, quality of life is, is just unattainable, you think you're going to re- reform it? No. No, you've got to allow a system to crash and burn, completely collapse, and then the average person will wake up, turn off the gradations for about a minute and a half, otherwise they go through a high blood pressure withdrawal, and then to look and see what just happened. Well, the world was going on with a lot of corruption and you weren't paying attention well, you got my attention now, that's when things change. I've never seen reform work anywhere at any time under any circumstances when it comes to people who exert absolute power saying, yeah, we and all the other billionaires, multimillionaires, and the egotists, we've been wrong about everything, so let's, let's just exit this game. Well, they're not going to. That's it, Luann. We're out of time. Thank you. And now we're turning our program over.